0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This is a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars concerning RPG Design and Publishing. This panel has been recorded at Gen Con 2016 and sponsored by the Indie Game Developer Network. Episode 94, Different Voices, Diverse RPGs. Recorded. At Gen Con twenty sixteen, presented by Jason Pitt and Shoshana Kessick. My name is Jason Pitt of Justice of Legend Publishing. This is my name is
1: Shoshana Kesak. I'm uh, one head for Phoenix Outlaw Productions. I'm also a staff writer for JWP, uh, which is John Wick Presents. I write for 7C, um, and I also publish independently uh, LARPs and tabletop games. Uh, so I do a bunch of different stuff. Um, uh,
0: and this is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, Diverse Voices. Uh, if
1: it's not, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> so, yeah. uh,
0: so this panel is specifically re- um, addressing... Um, Wide variety of different uh, role-playing games that uh, come from diverse creators, or, and, and/or speak to um, diverse and inclusive subject matter.
1: We were hoping to have at least one more person. Yeah, yeah. She might be here. Hopefully. Uh, we're not sure. Um, so, I guess I'm just like, why don't we start with talking about why this is important? I guess. Yeah. Uh, you want mind, I'll. Yep, go, in ahead. The go ahead. So uh, it's been, uh, you know. I'm I'm sure people know that it's been a major topic, especially in the games world for quite some time now, about um, the the importance of, uh, you know, games having diverse representation, Um, not just in, uh, you know, like starting in specific sectors, talking about um, representation of people of color, talking about women, talking about LGBT representation, um, and it became an intersectional conversation about the ways in which... uh, games uh, should be moving towards a more uh, progressive uh, inclusive environment and how to do that and what ways uh, where where that needs to be done so there are a myriad of different ways Um, I I myself am a tabletop designer and player and a a LARP designer and player as well so these conversations are going on in multiple corners of of the games world uh, and it's really important to, to, to recognize that like there are companies having these conversations. that has been going on for a while, um, and panels like this have been popping up sort of all over the place, um, talking about um, the ways in which designers, at least, can can uh, contribute to this, uh, both in like hiring, in the representation in art, in writing, and all these different things. So,
0: um, yeah. So let's talk about the completely self-interested reasons why diversity is good. More people will play your games. Yeah, so it yeah, I mean, fundament, play and buy. Yes. Uh so, turns out roughly fifty-one percent of the human population consists of women. Roughly. So having nothing but cheesecake art and chain bikinis on the uh, on the front is kind of a bad marketing decision, just for entirely greedy selfish reasons. Um uh, by contrast, having games that are intentionally designed to be inclusive of people who are not uh, into the chainmail bikini uh, acquisition. Quite frankly, there's a lot of competition in the chainmail bikini market, and there's a, a, a less competition in the uh, diverse games market right now. So, I mean, that that's the smart marketing move.
1: I mean, even stepping back for a second, like to talk about it, like from the, from the very baseline, um, it is a misnomer. That the only audience that has ever been for games is straight, heterosexual, white dudes. Like, yeah. that is a misnomer. Yeah, there have been uh, LGBT people, people of color, uh, everybody plays games. Like, everybody plays games and have been doing so since the beginning of this industry, since the beginning of Tabletop, since the beginning of war. There have been people of all kinds uh, playing, and the fact that the, um, the stereotype became the norm is unfortunate, but it has been that way about a lot of games. It's the same way in video games. If you look at the way that marketing towards video games uh, was in the early days of, like, the Atari, there's plenty of marketing towards girls. It was like this with Legos, which is weird, too. Like, there are pictures of Legos, like, girls and boys playing together. And then when you hit a certain point, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, everything started skewing towards boys. Um, And it's all because of marketing choices. It really became, like, who has the free money, like, to spend on this stuff? and it was mothers aiming towards buying their boys' toys and like and their children's toys, and the marketing people decided, well, we want to make sure that the money goes in very specific places, so we're going to market this for boys and this for girls, and never the twain shall mean. And that was to make sure that money went specific places. That unfortunately bled into our consciousness in so much in such a way that it then said to the next generation, this is how it is. Um, and it became the norm that people then start designing towards, and it's this terrible, vicious circle. Um, and it ended up marginalizing so many populations um, that at this point people like are just waving their arms going, when did we let marketers decide who is part of the community? Uh, but we have, and it's unfortunate, and now we're hopefully addressing it and starting to fix it.
0: And just as a highlight, um, I, I believe I've seen that the uh, largest demographic for video games was... Uh, women from nineteen to thirty nine, right. or eighteen to thirty nine. Uh, there there yeah,
1: right now it's it, it's ni- I think it was nineteen to thirty nine, but like the, that number also is including looking at games from a much broader angle than it ever was looked at before. So it's talking about games in uh, the video game terms of consoles, apps, all that stuff to say that like video games is not just a single like narrow market. Let's look at who is now looking at digital, um, who has the money, who has the free time, where is it going. And, like, who are we then marketing towards? And it was women was the demographic that came up. And people started contesting it. Well, hacks aren't really games, all these different of things. Of course. If, right? women,
0: if women like it, then it can't be legitimate. Right. And that's, I mean, clearly, that's... Like, that's, obviously.
1: But that's the problem, is that the bar keeps getting moved. Because they want to, like, they... they, they I'm not going to use that term because that's weird. Um, but the marketing wants to aim it towards a specific place, so it keeps narrowing what is a game... It keeps narrowing what is an appropriate game, what, what makes it, uh, and it gate keeps out communities by doing that to try to establish cred and to try to keep this like standard going. And then when you start opening it up, well, games or apps, Facebook games, um, live action role play games, tabletop games, when you open it up and look at the market in general, you then see that there's an incredibly wide diverse audience, international markets, <coughs> which is often not considered, uh, markets in different languages, who are, who are playing these games, well, you're gonna notice that it's a lot more people of color that are being counted, a lot more of, the, uh, of, of women, uh, a lot more people in different countries. And uh, once we look at that, you start realizing that the design itself is aiming to such a small niche population um, that really it's underselling a huge point, uh, which is people wanna see themselves represented in the media that they're consuming and in the games that they're playing. If you're not, what's the narrative that we're saying that the world is all towards one group, and that's it's such a it's such an odd thing that has become the media perception has become our reality in so many ways um, that we need to fight against it.
0: So now we've uh, laid out the very logical. This is why it, uh, it's important. I mean, we, we're all here because we all un- understand this is important, and so that's my knowledge. So what are some games that have done a really good job that we really need to highlight? Oh, geez. Where I know we're drowning in them.
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, it's actually funny that I'm I'm joking, but, like, it's true, actually. In the last few years, there's been such a wonderful push since, like, I've been doing this about, like, professionally about eight years now. I've been gaming since I was 12, um, but, you know, I've been sort of LARP designing since I was about ten years now and then professionally eight years as a tabletop designer. Um, the shift is dramatic. The shift has been incredible in certain corners of the industry, uh, especially I will highlight the, the story games community as sort of like saying, a lot of people saying well we're not seeing the representation we want we're going to make small games that do what we want so that we can see people like us, that we can offer those spaces. There are companies that are making uh, you know choices to hire specifically and open up towards designers that have that aim um, so that they can choose to, to choose artwork in their books that, that is more diverse. Um, I'll speak very highly of uh, 7C, not just because I work there, but, like, if you go and see the core book, it has some of the most diverse art that you're going to see anywhere. Um, and it pissed off a lot of people it, right off good, the bat. There's, good, there's two, good. Um, there's two gay couples in the book kissing right off the bat. Like here, page 120 this, 150 this. It's right there. Um, the cover has a woman and a man on it. There's more women in action roles, there's uh, people of all different colors. The book specifically says, I don't care if this is the 16th century, uh, it's, not, it's not the 16th century the way that you see it in, in the uh, very whitewashed histories. It's very intentionally designed that way. And people get mad, but this is, this is the choice that was made, and it's a wonderful direction. Five uh, E had a lot more uh, artistic representation as well. Like, if you're looking at books, this is the direction artists are being asked to go. Um, and it's phenomenal when people can pick up a book and say, this is me, I'm, I I. look like this, I'm here. Uh, so from a visual perspective alone, there's huge, um, Fate Core is one of the great books that did it. If you look at all the Fate Core books, the art is like that. But not just the art, the settings that are being put out for Fate, um, Apocalypse games, uh, yeah, yeah. Monster Hearts. Oh yeah,
0: we're drowning in really good ones. Um, so... Like, I'm going to specifically reinforce the 7C because this is a, a really big deal. Oh, yeah. Because it's a $1.3 million Kickstarter, which is, I believe, the biggest... It broke the record. Yeah, it broke the record. The
1: first print run is like 20000 copies. 20000 copies. Yeah, something like that. And there's some in the deal room if you want to take a look at it. Yes, we recommend um,
0: doing so. Uh, um, but uh, I want to specifically uh, call up Marissa Kelly, who yeah. did the art direction for yeah, that. So- who just released uh, her own project for the first time. Um, at Apillion, yeah. Apillion, which is a game about baby dragons. Uh, the best. Where dragons are magic and friendship is magic. Everything is magic. Just go play this game. It's at the uh, IGBN booth. And if um, you want
1: to see a lot of, like, like, Mer- Apelian is a really good example of, like, that story game uh, that I was talking about, like the story game experience, which is, um, like, people who are designers, or people who then said, I'm going to be a designer. I want to make a game that speaks to something that I care about. So you're seeing games that are coming from incredibly diverse places. Um, Avery McDowell is one of my favorite designers, uh, who creates a lot of games that are for queer experiences. Uh, Monster Hearts was, was a great a great example of that. Um, and even better is
0: something that you can get online. Oh, a, Dream Askew. Dream Askew, that's the one Dream i Dream Askew is the... Gorgeous. It is in my opinion, one of the best games that has been produced. It's a, It's about a, a sort of a very
1: dystopian future.
0: If by dystopian future, you mean current reality. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's, like, it's really uh, hard to play. It, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's a post-apocalyptic, be, and uh, the apocalypse is distributed in, 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 in equally, and hits marginalized communities first.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to play and not make those connections. But yeah, it's a uh, and it's, there's, there's a movement towards, you know, that, that's been online, which is about, like, queering games and making uh, more games with not just representation. So this is, this is a, also, it's not just about the art, right? When you're designing games, it's also about mirroring the experiences of people, having stories coming from those communities uh, that you're talking about. So it's not just games that have women on the cover, but also uh, that, you know, what are women's roles in this game? Whose stories are being told? Um, in the case of people of color, it's you know who are like where are the games set? Where are they? Are, are they about just um, you know people of color whose stories are being put on top of the ones that we've already seen, or are they coming from places? So there's a game that I just heard about. God, you could probably tell me what it is about children in Nicaragua. What oh, is uh, that
0: is Sign. Sign. It is a it's a LARP uh, where you are all playing deaf children in Nicaragua uh, who we are brought together. To learn lip reading, clearly, uh, yeah. So no, they created their own sign language.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, um. and they, they had been isolated completely, and then they got together and in a room they made their own sign language.
1: And this is based on a like a story that like. Like actually the actual Nicaraguan true. sign language.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: there's some incredible games that are, that are coming from these perspectives, and that's a, in in large part because there are designers who are coming up who are, who are from you know different communities. Who are saying we wanted to have our stories told? Um, so, I come from an Orthodox Jewish background. I was raised Orthodox Jewish, and I wrote a game for the Warbirds anthology, which is called Keeping the Candles Lit, uh, which is about uh, three generations of Jewish women uh, during uh, the uh, World War II. They're running away from the Nazis in the woods and join a partisan group uh, and try to survive against the Nazis while trying to keep their religious traditions. So, it's not about fighting, it's about literally trying to keep your culture while like, your whole home was just decimated and you don't know where you're going in the future or even if you're gonna live. And that's because like, I, I've seen so little representation of Jews in games that I was just like, it would be really nice if there was somebody who looked like me that wasn't the stereotypical like, rabbi character in some game. And there's barely any of that anyway. Um, and so that was my contribution to an anthology, Warbirds, which is about women in World War II. All the games in it are about women in World War II, in different places, in different ways. There's a game about um, uh, the the workers who had to like come together to like work on the home front, the women, but it's also about racism when they introduce an African American uh, woman into the workforce in that community as well. So like these games are not tackling like small things too, <laughs> no but they're coming from a place of designers taking stories and saying, let's not just talk about the same old let's hit things with an axe, which is great also, not knocking that, but let's take stories that have not been heard before, because maybe people had not thought that they should be made or didn't have the experience to do that. Uh,
0: So, uh, Steal Away Jordan Mm. is a game about uh, slavery in the Antebellum South. And you are always, you are all playing uh, people who have been enslaved, and one of the stats on your character sheet is your worth. This is how much you uh, are worth on this slave exchange, it's and the perfect. GM okay. and the GM is playing the slave owner, and it's brutal and actually less intimidating than it sounds on the surface. Apparently, um, I haven't gotten a chance to actually play this one, but it's What's it called again? Uh, "Steal Away, Jordan" by Julia Ellingbus. Steal, Steal, Steal Away, Jordan. Oh, right. Um, and it's fantastic. Um, There is Kagematsu, uh, which is a uh, game uh, typically assuming that there is one woman at the table and a bunch of guys at the table, and the uh, woman at the table will be playing the male samurai, and the men at the table will be playing the village women uh, in this Japanese village. And the ve- village women are trying to convince the male samurai to save them. And uh, so they're trying to woo the, the samurai, and the, the samurai uh, is judging them, uh, deciding if, if it's uh, love or pity uh, for each of the interactions with the various village women. <laughs> so obviously <laughs> um,
1: obviously that game is playing with some really interesting stuff uh, mechanically in a really interesting way, Right. So um, specifically flipping gender to make a point. Um, so there are some games that are obviously like what I like to call slightly message games, where they're making a point by using mechanics and, and, and setting down like this, this experience that you want people to have uh, so that they start thinking outside of the box. Um, uh, I'm, I wrote a LARP that uh, is, I'm finishing up right now called uh, For Here Our Sister Lies, which is about an Amazon tribe uh, who then puts a man, sort of catches a man who is uh, potentially being tried for the death of one of their Amazon sisters uh, and they have to decide what to do with him um, and everybody plays uh, different genders within the Amazon tribe um, and it talks about the, the power dynamics between the different genders who can speak when, it was inspired by um, mansplaining literally it was inspired by like dynamics between people talking it well, let events.
0: me tell
1: you about Mansplained. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was inspired by... Yes, thank you. Um, so, like, one of the mechanics is who can speak when and uh, how, like, the people who are playing male characters can speak, uh, how they are referred to, how people who are playing uh, gender-fluid characters, um, how that works and, and the language between them. It's a message game. I don't make anything... Like, absolutely, it's there to make a point. Uh, but it's also there to have fun with, right, and to experience this thing. Um, and then there are games that are, that put these, that these things come up uh, because they are just part of the setting, um, but you're there to really, you know, hit something with an axe and just do something else, but they come up as part of the setting and because of the design itself as well, or just how the game is played.
0: Um, just want to ha- highlight another message, came, uh in the exact same vein. Uh, autonomy by Anna Kreider yeah. from Japan's Press, yeah. which is, uh, a game about um, a group of men uh, appealing to the uh, all-women judicial uh, uh, council, asking for the authority for medical autonomy to control their own medical decisions. Because we restrict this, because men are are blah, blah, blah. Uh, And it it specifically has um, uh, the female characters training up uh, all these microaggressions and talking over the men and uh, effectively doing all these uh, male-coded behaviors that are harmful, and then the men having to... Let, no, no, yep, yeah, you're going to be talked over. Yep, yeah, no, you're going to be ignored. Yep, yeah, no, you don't get to make decisions. Yep. Yeah.
1: And it's... I mean, like, like I said, that's like a... Uh, these are games that are obviously taking these mechanics and like... Well, hey, yeah, let's you're play. paying attention now? Yeah. Got it. Um, but then there are games that have these implicit questions that you sort of have to tackle. One of my... One of sort of the most difficult ones is transhumanist games uh, and talking about disability in in the, in the case of transhumanism, yeah. um, where a lot of games have to talk about like if you're not familiar, transhumanism is the idea of like we're going to include machines in our bodies to like change ourselves, and a lot of the questions that come up from you know the disability community is well, are you erasing uh, disabled people from the future? Because does that mean that we have to change ourselves? with machines to get better. It's one of those questions that's come up a lot when reading transhumanist fiction or playing these games. So how do you then tackle representation of um, uh, disabled characters in the future, whether that be neuroatypical or physically disabled? Um, does it become a question of are you replacing them, fixing them, um, and uh, or are you uh, creating assistive devices instead? Um, and that becomes a topic of conversation in these games, just because of the nature of people uh, wanting to exist in the future of these games, right? In these settings. Um, <clears throat> but uh, Elsa Henry, yeah. if you don't know who Elsa Henry is, she is a wonderful Elsa disability. Henry. Yeah. She is a wonderful disability uh, 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 advocate Fendi, and writer. Feminist Sonar, Sonar is her blog. Yeah. Um, she talks a lot about how uh, you know disabled folks are represented in the art in games um, and but also in, in, in the settings and talking about what roles they can play and whether or not they even exist. Like uh, because some people like, um, just sort of get pushed to the wayside sometimes. Um, I, I speak a lot about uh, people who are uh, outside of the body norm in general and about body shaming and how there are no... Let's, let's be fair, there's very few representations of people who are fat uh, uh, in, in games that are not uh, joking characters or evil or slovenly or these like, negative things that you associate with body shaming. Uh, you generally don't see them as the heroes uh, and it's a really important thing to look at so like there's It's not just talking about gender like it's not getting like all these things. there are a myriad of intersectional things that we can look at um, That can be tackled uh, in a game. There is a, an incredibly difficult um, Nordic game which I somewhat disagree with uh, Which is tackling the issue of how people who are overweight are treated and it's literally called fat man down and it's about a, a, a guy who, or a person who is, uh, who is fat and how they are treated by their friends until the end of their lives. Uh, the game is incredibly transgressive in that it asks you to break safe words at a certain point. Oh. Um, to, they, and when you start the game, you pick the fattest person in real life who is in the game to play the fat person in the game, and then basically the rest of them like verbally abuse that person. And even if that person asks them to stop, uh, they don't. And that experience of like what it's like to live, being the um, and understand what that is like. It's an incredibly transgressive game that is an example of like pushing that limit really hard. Yep,
0: that, that's on the extreme end of things. Yeah. Yep.
1: So, and I've like fought with the designer like we yelled at each <laughs> other about how I think this is like a really not great example of this. So like people can aim towards making a point with these games and miss the point I think, and we can disagree about how they are implementing these things and these messages that we want to try to uh, put forward. But what amazes me and what's great is, like you said, we're swimming in these games. Oh, yeah. Um, like, um, um,
0: a couple ones that I want to highlight. Yeah. Uh, the hashtag feminism, uh, which is, I think, available at IPR. I know the pickup is yes. at yeah. Yeah. Um There is uh, Seven Wonders by Pelgring yeah. Press. Pick it up. It is amazing. Uh, I believe that all of the creators are, um, UK, uh, women and non-binary, uh, creators. Huh. Yep. And, like, the games are beautiful. There's
1: the Queer Games Anthology that just came out recently. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, that's with, uh, uh, Miss Granger, who I was hoping was right, here. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and uh,
0: Warbirds. and Warbirds. Warbirds. Uh, is that printed Yes.
1: Uh, it's, it's almost. Okay, I mean, I it's it's all rude, know. but... Um, But yeah, and there's great stuff going on. Oh,
0: just, I can vouch for Seven Wonders. It's a wonderful game. Uh, Not just because of the representation. The mechanics themselves are really fun. Oh, yeah. That's something to check out.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a really important point, though, right? Like, we're talking about the representation. Well, we've
0: got, like, seven awesome games in it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's a really important point, is that these games are all, it's not just about, like, let's have a message game, right? It's that these games are also fun and a good experience, and, like, you know, In some
0: cases, engaging rather than fun. Right, But like
1: <laughs> sometimes the feelings you'll have are not necessarily <laughs> the word fun that we're talking about. But they are, the experience good experiences, they're, you know, uh, worthwhile experiences as well. So it's not just about, like, we're going to make a message game. It's like, let's make good games that people are going to want to play, Let's um, but let's do it with the representation that, we're, that we want to see as well. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, there's a... Like, I was just going to flag a whole bunch of... Uh, games from Crider because they're all really good and all on point. Uh, uh, I believe she did, uh, is it Starlet Kingdom or Twilight Twilight Kingdom? Twilight Kingdom. Starlet Starlet Kingdom. Starlet Kingdom. Kingdom. Uh, Which is uh, legally distinct from Sailor Moon, (laughs) uh, using the engine from Polaris. Um, In the same way, that worked on a warrior. Uh, speaking of um, the last Muslims in the Iberian Peninsula after the during the Reconquista, um, also powered by the same general system by Ann Carter. Uh, we also have
1: we also have like like stepping back about like the individual games themselves and talking yep. about larger games that are out. Um, you know there there are games like Urban Shadows where uh, some of the settings that are being designed by for Urban Shadows uh, are you know I think uh, one of them is by George, uh, which is uh, set in India, as opposed to like a lot of the times that you have setting books like where games are going to be played. It's Chicago. It's Chicago, and New York, yeah. Seattle, and it's yeah, it's, it's London even. But like we're not talking about playing uh, uh, games in other parts of the world. But then now you're seeing people who are like, no, we're designing for Singapore, we're designing for Africa, we're designing, and they're not being designed in the sense of we're being they're being designed by people. Who have never been there who have no connection to those places who don't know the cultures it's that games are like they're bringing in people who have experiences there who have family there who have lived there who know the cultures um you know working on 7th sea has been a a blessing honestly uh and we're writing uh you know Thea as as a setting is a is a fantasy world but it's got a drift that's you know some of the countries are very similar to the countries in our world um culturally it's important for us to be like uh, as honest about that as possible and, and uh, as respectful. So we we're working on uh, more things than just Europe right now, and I'm allowed to talk about that because it was in the Kickstarter. Um, like There are 12 books in this set now, and we're going to be writing about pretty much every corner of, the, of this world. Uh, one of the ones I just finished working on is, is uh, the Caribbean. And like I've never been to Puerto Rico, but I was writing about sort of the, the analog to Puerto Rico Um, And, but my roommate, his family is Puerto Rican, and I sat him down and said, tell me about everything, tell me about, I'm reading all this stuff, but I want your experiences as well, I want to hear about your family, tell me about what Puerto Rico is like. Um, We have a a doctoral student, a doctoral candidate, who actually left in the middle of our our, our development to go to an anthropological assignment in Chile when we were working on South America, and she's checking all of our stuff, and I'm like, cool, I'm writing about one of the new countries, but we're basing them on historical fact. I want to make sure that I'm being respectful to the cultures uh, as much as possible, especially because South American culture is seen so much through the, uh, South American ancient cultures are seen so much through the lens of the conquistadors. We want to look at as much as we can that was from original uh, sources as much as there was. So games doing that and taking the time to do the research um, gives you a diversity of experience and an authenticity that's important. That's not just appropriating these stories for writing your own gifts. Um yeah. Yeah,
0: so uh, do we have questions that we can run off? Because if we can ahead. we can just continue spewing out awesome stuff and just saying like, yeah, yeah, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. But we're happy to answer any questions or um, prompts that people might have. Uh, I have a question. Oh, Fantastic. It Jeremy? Jason. Jason, sorry. Um, so um most most people in the tabletop gaming community do play more mainstream games yep. more regularly. So how do we what what are some good strategies of in incorporating different voices into those more mainstream games and game settings? So uh, I see two spins on on this. One is seventh C and D and D and Pathfinder. Like these are the three massive games and all of them have taken very strong steps forward, at the very least, on our direction. the Core. Uh, there you path, go. You've got four. Onyx um, Path's
1: world well, of well, darkness stuff now is very much aiming in that direction too. Right, like yeah.
0: um, it, it's normalized on that front. So I mean, that's the first step. Yeah, but that's um, that's, that's just the first that's step. But that's
1: not at the table, right? So that's the important part. That's the other side of it. Right. Is that there are two there are two sides There's a design perspective, and then there's the like, how do you do this at your table at home? Um, So, on one hand, there are organizations who are training new GMs, right? Like, I want to speak to Contessa, which is a great organization, that's like, we're going to teach women to GM, and we're going to say, like, so women can go forward and build their own gaming groups and such, uh, so that there are more people who are feeling comfortable to take the initiative and take these games and then tell their stories through these games, because at the table, the story is going to change based on the perspective of the GM in a lot of cases. Then there's the question of how do you get, you know, gaming tables that are already established, who are being run by, let's say, you know, you know, people who are not, you know, the ones that we're talking about, who are, you know, the traditional what we would say model, how do you get them to accept new material, right? That's a whole other question. Um, and I would say that, that that answer is, one, it's being mirrored now on the products that are coming out, right? People are saying, hey, let's try this new thing, or the new supplements that are coming out for the game that you love have much more diverse... Uh, stuff in it let's play this and it's from the people you love anyway let's do it anyway. Um, the other thing is uh, for GMs to feel emboldened to introduce that stuff at their table whether it means doing a little research, uh, whether it means you know feeling comfortable enough to say I'm gonna have you know when I'm writing my home campaign I'm gonna write that it's not a king it's a queen I'm gonna write that like it's not a princess that you're gonna rescue it's a prince. Or that there are gay couples and just say, this is how it is. And accept it, that it's normalized at the table. Um, because I think that, you know, there's there's a point about having the message games, which is really important on one hand. But there's also just saying, no, this is the normal part of life. Like, that's just how it is. One of the great conversations I had with John Wick was like, you know, why is the representations are great in 7C? He's like, because that's just how it is. That's how it should be. That's how they is. That's the normal. That's it. And so by normalizing it at your table... Um, and saying, well, of course, the king has a a, a king beside him, a consort, as opposed to a queen. Um, if the people at your table then ask why, the, the answer could be, well, that's just how it is. It's just how it because is. Because it'd setting.
0: be politically complicated for another for a full marriage, so only a consort. Well, I mean, th- well, no, th- this I mean, is like, the reason why it's only a consort, not another. Well, king. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> like, don't make like I, I feel like you never have to make excuses for why representation should be there because it is in the world, yeah. right? So, like, just say, like, if somebody asks... One of the people who gets knocked about this in, in literature, for example, right now, is Chuck Wendig is getting smacked around by Star Wars fans because he put gay couples in in, uh, in his books. And yep. the answer is because they exist, right? Yep. They exist in the real world. Of course they're going to ex- exist in Star Wars. I think it's the same thing in your table. Just say, okay. of course it's there, because it is.
0: Yeah. So I was going to say, uh, the, so IBM, he's in my, where I used to. He finished our campaign, but the... I didn't do representational stuff, but I'm an international lawyer for my day job. Human rights stuff is sure. really important to me. So we wove in like there was huge environmental law plots that were kind nice. of woven in. Nice. I did. I tried to do goblins as an oppressed character or nice. an oppressed group. They killed all the goblins, so that whole storyline didn't come off. Yeah, <laughs> so that, uh, yeah, that, that's actually a very major danger point. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, so that that I'm terrified. There's, there's more than just saying this character is this or that, you can actually build the story elements around some of these concepts, but if you're a DM and you're writing your own stuff, which I did, I wasn't using campaign stuff, be prepared that sometimes those (laughs) self-destruct and you have to move on.
1: And my favorite part about that is to, and and I'm going to pop over here, is, if that's okay, sorry, Uh, is um, have consequences for them self-destructing, right? Like, if in the real world if somebody went in and wiped out an indigenous population um there should be consequences for that right They should so like yeah. if, they, if they decide to kill all the goblins like now suddenly there's a you know a question about like the violation of safety and species right like it's like uh i just played in new world magistola recently which was uh, uh a not harry potter but uh like a sort of one legally <laughs> distinct uh um thing that's like Harry Potter, um, where we went away to LARP for the weekend at like a college of, of, you know, so it was great, and one of the major storylines that was important to my character was uh, the rights of non-human species, right, because I was a secret werewolf, and like, uh, so how did we get to be allowed to not be murdered in the streets, right, so we wove that in, and to a lot of other people it didn't matter, right, but for me it was like, we're gonna make a point of this, and like, by the end of it, we had achieved rights for all non-sapiens, because I tricked everybody. It was great. It was like... (laughs) But we walked away at the end of that game with this incredible feeling of, in this fantasy space, we created hope that this is possible. And, like, it was especially poignant because it had happened uh, four days after the shooting in Orlando. Um, And, like, a lot of us who 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 were queer were just having a lot of hard time with it. And we came together and it was like... It was like this incredible catharsis for me, for it, and a lot of other people talking about it. So... It's possible, you just gotta have to sort of like uh, play to the fact that like there should be consequences to these things. I'm sorry, I've been talking private.
0: Uh, it depends on okay, how big of a statement you wanna make of what you're doing. Uh, if you wanna just be more inclusive and get that into the minds of your players, you know, the GM should say, I want a character like this. And it doesn't have to be front and center, it could be if you're playing in a modern setting, just take a moment and say, you know, write up all your NPCs and then, wait, right, right. I'm gonna take Jason out and I'm gonna put Javier in, yep. or I'm gonna add a few Ahmeds and Deshawns or whatever you want. Just, just a, as much as a name, or even the title, depending on uh, what you're doing. in. that makes a world. Move. Nameless are super important. I make, take very take a lot of care in preparing nameless for almost every game I produce for that specific reason. But uh, to also look at
1: the power structure and the power dynamic yeah. of where they are is important. So, like, you might accidentally, like, see, like, after you renamed a bunch of your NPCs, like, well, all the Javier's and Hoffman's are, like, blue-collar people. Why don't we make, like, the president of the company this person? Like, and to look, like, to look at what you're then saying with the, like, you got to sort of, like, view it as, uh, unconscious. like, I'm going to say this. Unconscious bias occurs to all of us. Yeah. If, we, if you say that it's not you're probably not being honest with yourself, is that we're all sort of pre-programmed with unconscious biases. Um, And that's why when you're designing, and that means either as a GM or as a designer that's, you know, putting out books, stuff's going to creep in. uh, And you're, like, sometimes it takes a second look
0: before you put it in front of other people. And numbers. Put Um, numbers beside things. Like, I have uh, seven women and 18 men I didn't know this, yeah. but I counted them and put numbers there.
1: Yeah, start to look at what you're designing and try to recognize your, you know, your accidental biases. I had a game that I designed, which is uh, this is my like oh god story, but like i, I you know that game uh, I, I designed a game for your sister lives, like I was talking about, which is uh, Amazons, uh, and uh, one of the things I was toying with early on was representing uh, the different ge- uh, uh, genders in the game by wearing certain colors, uh, either on masks or on armbands. And at one point, I said, oh, great, I'm going to put, like, I'm going to get white armbands and black armbands, and the men are going to play, uh, are going to have the black armbands. And my friend came over and went, you're going to make the uh, people who have less power wear black, huh? And I just went, <laughs> and just stopped. And I'm like, so purple's a nice color, uh, purple and green and, and fuchsia and, like, other things. But, like, there's, like, unconscious, like, accent. like it's not a conscious thing. It's not a, it's an arm, like, it's a piece of clothing. I didn't even think of it a color, but there's an implication—cultural um, symbols, things that you don't even think of—and then somebody else will just point it out to you and be like, "Maybe not that." Um, having somebody else look at your work, um, super important, uh, because they'll have a different perspective than you, uh, is super super important. Um, um,
0: one, so um, all of my lovely business cards available at the front. Um, it has a list of questions I ask about people's games. One of them is. Uh, whose voices are heard and whose are silent. A key thing I find when trying to run uh, games is to specifically focus on which voices I'm promoting uh, in the setting. So, making sure that people who normally have their voices silenced uh, from marginalized communities are the ones who are speaking. Uh, As opposed to just Um, you know, the white king and the white guards and the white uh, merchant. And then those other riffraff.
1: It's sort of like Like, uh, the Game of Thrones uh, episode where it's, uh, you know, there was a lot of criticism of uh, Daenerys Targaryen, the savior of all people who are not white. Like, in that, there were episodes literally where she's being carried by people like a savior and and they don't have any lines ever, pretty much. Uh, There's a lot of discussion about, like, where is the power dynamic in what you're talking about? How is it how is it coming across in making sure that that, that the voices are heard of these characters uh, and that they have um, agency um, as opposed to just being sort of the nameless faces and that you end up with? And that includes um, the game. That includes especially the games where people are standing up for oppression, uh, which I which sometimes happens. Where um, you can design games that have progressive ideas in it. And your party, like even if it's like a tabletop game, like you're, 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 you know, you're representing the poor underprivileged, you know, massacred goblins. But um, are, are the goblins, can you talk to the goblins? Do they have lives? Do they have personalities? Or are they the faceless horde of, of people? Um, because communities being able to speak for themselves is important, even in your fiction. Um, so how do you, uh, are they able to represent themselves? Um, are they player characters? Are they playable races? Like, what is the issue? Um, yeah, that's one that's yeah, of the yeah. major ones.
0: Um, and a key danger is dehumanizing. Uh, the uh, stand in for indigenous peoples or peoples of color is a major problem that I strongly recommend avoiding. Um,
1: well, I mean, because there, there's, 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 there's
0: a long tradition of it, and it's very bad
1: there's two there's sort of two um two schools of thought on it right which is like for a long time uh races in dnd and stuff like that have been stand-ins for uh, marginalized populations right like the orcs are like the scary savages who come in and do terrible things right uh, there's some problems there about the stereotypes of savage populations that are barbarians and whatnot um don't get us started on the half orc question uh because that was awkward and weird for like a while Um, But then, like, later games have started having uh, representations where they're now playable characters, where they have their own cultures, where they're not just, you know, written as stereotypical savages. Some people find that using that alibi, that distance of saying, okay, well, they're not marginalized relations that we're familiar with in our world, allows them to introduce these questions of representation into their games. Some people say that that's a thing, but then you run the risk it, of... It
0: has to be done carefully. Yeah, and you um, run the risk of doing it the other way. Props to Dragon Age. Yeah. Because the Dragon Age elves is an example that I think is do- doing it in a much more carefully crafted way.
1: Uh, they still have their own problems. Oh, so. no, no, it's yeah. super problematic, oh,
0: yeah. but it's problematic in a... Uh, these are people that we expect to be... Uh, we expect that the elves are going to be... Um, uh, protagonists and having it, them as opposed to just orcs. No, sure. And I mean, like
1: They write in, uh, like, their design is intentional. Yes. So this is, this is something that's important, that, like, there's a difference between accepting the status quo writing in, uh, you know, racism or, or uh, you know, homophobia and such, because it's just accepted in that setting, right, because we expect it. And then they're saying, well, we're going to say that this exists and this imbalance exists in this world intentionally, and we're, we're saying that this is a part of the story and the setting that we want to explore. Um, as uncomfortable as that can be, as difficult as that can be. Um, for example, uh, using 7th Sea as an example, there are many countries in 7th Sea where women have equality and women are warriors and women have all, like, Queen is one of the biggest, you know, NPCs and she runs all of Avalon and she is the, the queen who holds the sacred grail, like the holy grail. Um, but in Vidace, women have no, no rights, basically. Like, they're, in the first edition, they weren't allowed to read. Uh, so, like, But now it's changed a little bit, but they still are second-class citizens in Vidace. Um, why is that? It's not saying, well, we accept that this is the right thing. It's saying that Vidace is a villainous nation, actually, and like, they have iniquities that should be addressed, right? And that should be part of your potential story if you want to include that. So in Dragon Age, I think, like, for example, there's a lot of things that are a little problematic. Oh, yeah, um, Especially about elves, about the representation of, of Kunari, uh, of gender representation and and, uh, and sexuality representation. There's yeah. some stuff. Oh, oh yeah. Um, but I think it was more intentionally designed that way rather than just accidentally thrown in there. Um, and so whether or not that makes you uncomfortable about the representation or not, I think it's still at least a saying we're, we're conscious of it, we're thinking about it, we're doing for doing our damnedest, and this is where we stand on it. And uh, I guess what I'm coming down on is, like, we might not necessarily agree with all the games that and the way that they're representing a culture, um, or whether or not it's okay in that game to, like, have it be, you know, racist. But, like, if the designer says, I put it in there intentionally, uh, I'm, I want this game to explore racism in this way, um, I think that's leaps and bounds ahead yes. of just where we've been, and... The fact that we can now fight over representation as opposed to just saying where is representation is saying that we're making some strides that are pretty intense and important. So um, we
0: have uh, probably five minutes left, uh, ten minutes before uh, the hour. So um, I just want to throw out a couple recommendations uh, before we head out. Uh, one of which is uh, Evil Hat is doing the fate Accessibility Toolkit yeah. um, by Elsa S. Henry. Uh, which is mm-hmm. going to be coming out soon, I believe, and it will be fantastic. I guarantee it. Um, other things, uh, a, oh, I mean, Warbirds uh, is going to be out soon. Warbirds mm-hmm. is going to yeah. be out soon. Yeah. Uh, Five Fires by Quinn Murphy, <coughs> uh, which is a game about hip hop, uh, and it's super interesting. Uh, there's twelve Murphy or? Uh, Quinn. Quinn Murphy. Quinn
1: Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's 12, is it called 12 Days? Or is it 14 Days? 14 Days. 14 Days, which is about the experience, no problem, the experience of uh, living with chronic pain and chronic illness. Um, so it's a, it's a short-form game, which is really uh, near and dear and close to my heart. Dog-eat-dog. Uh, uh, dog yeah, eat dog. Dog, eat dog is another one. Yeah. Um, but, so there's a lot of different ways yeah. to have representation and talking about it. Um, sometimes of, of smaller issues that, like, neurodiversity is an important thing. Yep. Uh, so when we're talking about all these, these topics, um, remembering that it's an intersectional conversation is important, and even within the larger, broader topic, it's an intersectional conversation. So we're not, when we're talking about women's representation, we're not just speaking about cis women, we're not just talking about white women, we're talking and that each of these communities have different stories to tell and different like, um, challenges, and then talking about that um, within games and how that is represented. Uh, is important, so to know that this is a nuanced conversation, that even though we're saying, yeah, it's getting a lot better, that there's still strides to go, and uh, still places where improvements can be made and where we can continue to make uh, improvements. I just want to add also, uh, the most important thing that I can say to anybody is vote with your dollars um, for the games that you want to see more of and the people that are doing the good job. If you see a, a, a company that's doing a good job, and you like how they're representing people, the best way for them to continue doing that is to make money. I mean, it sounds mercenary, but it's the truth. Um, if, if a company is doing great representation but can't sell their games, there's not going to be any more of them from that person, from that voice. And if you're a designer, um, hire diverse voices. Uh, make sure that you support other creators that are like that. And. Uh, Supporting all these games and giving shout outs, make sure that those
0: voices keep getting perpetuated. All right. Thank you very much.
1: If you guys have any questions, your cards, uh, we talk about this a lot, so